welcome to the Kira Phelan podcast. My guest this week is Ireland AM presenter Katia Mia. She opens up about managing body dysmorphia, the highs and lows of being a public figure and her faith. Katia, thank you for joining me today. We see you on our TV screens, but who is the real Katia? How would you describe yourself? Oh, well, it's, that's a bit of a loaded question, but I think, mm, let me see, like myself currently, I would describe myself as outgoing, bit of an introvert and a little bit ambitious as well. So as a child, I was always quite ambitious, reach for the stars. I did a lot of extracurricular activities. I wanted to do stage school, dancing, all that stuff. So yeah, I think like the real me, I was probably a little go-getter <laughs> from day one. And also as the middle child, you know, it's it's quite a natural trait. You know, you just want to be seen. <laughs> and you lose the little bit of attention when you have the older sibling and the younger sibling. So you wanted to stand out from the very beginning. Yeah, so true. So true. So um, I think like my younger self, like I was I was always like super active. Um, I loved being on stage. Um, I loved just socializing with people. I'm also like super family oriented, like I come from a really big family. So, yeah, I think like that's I think that that part has still stuck to me. Like right now, I would still describe myself as the same. Where did that come from? Because as a child, you know, was it, I know you mentioned you wanted to do stage school and, you know, be centre of attention, but where did that come from? Are your parents like that? Well, my, I don't know if you're into star signs, but I have a Leo rising. So that really, really explains why I love the world of entertainment. Um, also, when I came to Ireland um, at a super young age, uh, we all we watched was MTV. And it's like my parents like didn't really care that we were watching MTV. Like Britney was on screens, Pink, Beyonce, Destiny's Child. So I was just mesmerized. And that's also a way that we learned English. Like it was just watching loads of TV, loads of American shows. And yeah, I think that's probably why. Like, I just remember being so obsessed with Britney and Destiny's Child. So you learned English from a lot, a lot of it from watching the shows like MTV. Well, yeah, that was it. Like school as well was one of them. But then as well, just watching telly, chatting with friends. I think that's how like my English got better and better because at home, you know, we we were speaking French and Kirundi. Um, and yeah, I think it was a great tool to kind of learn it. And a lot of like friends that I talk to now, whether they're from South Korea or from Ghana or wherever, they always say like watching like friends or watching like an American sitcom was really a huge way that helped them learn to speak English. I'm like, yeah, it's actually a great tool. So yeah, I think that was kind of how I just became mesmerized with the world of entertainment. For people listening then, you mentioned there that you were speaking French at home. So what's your background? Take me back to your childhood and how you eventually ended up in Dublin. I do. I did read before that your parents um, obviously fled a civil war. Yes, yes, they did. So I'm from Burundi. So in Burundi, you speak Kirundi, that's the native language. And the secondary language is French because it was colonized by the Belgians. So that's kind of the languages I would be used to hearing in my in my family. But I was actually born in Germany. Um, so I lived in Germany for, I think, a year and a bit before I moved to Ireland. So that's how I that's how I ended up in Dublin. <laughs> and obviously, 
the history to, you know, where your parents left following civil war and the travels that they've made. Were you aware of that, I suppose, growing up? Or can you recall maybe when they told you about how you ended up in Germany and, and then Dublin? I think it was probably more throughout my childhood. I I asked more questions. Um, my dad would always tell us stories before bed and then we started to ask and we became curious, like, what's Burundi like? And What's Germany like? And it's so funny, like because I was born in Germany, I think it just shows the innocence of a child's mind. Like I just thought everyone in Germany was black. I was like, Germany is just a black country. I had no idea. And then um, I think the older you get, the more the more curious you get. You ask questions. And that's sort of how I learned about my history. I learned about the tribes and everything like that. And I think as well as an 10 or an 11 year old I can't remember I think that was the first time I watched Hotel Rwanda and that movie um it was very similar situation to Burundi because in Rwanda we speak the same language and we also have the same tribes so what happened there was the same type type of turmoil that happened in Burundi around the same time so I think after watching that film I started to become quite curious um about a lot and my parents were always great they always answered everything um super informative so yeah so I'm very proud of where I come from and um yeah it's a nice fusion I think and growing up with siblings as well they kind of go through that same journey with you as you grow up Irish but as well in um Burundian um, household at the same time Obviously, for your parents, that must have been quite traumatic, you know, uh, moving their life over, particularly with kids as well. And as you got older, I know you mentioned there that your father would tell you stories. But were you aware of, you know, the tough times that they had been through and how did that make you feel? Probably resilient. Your resilience probably comes from your parents, would you say? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think... A lot of a lot of people that have parents that have either gone through certain hardships or immigration or civil wars, like you do learn like a lot about resilience. And I think that carries on to your work ethic. And I think as well, my work ethic growing up, um, because you just first of all, you just want to do well, make your parents proud. That's a universal feeling. Everybody wants to do that. But at the same time, when you see how hard they've worked to get to where they are, it just makes you want to go even further so yeah I really like I really admire my parents for that really thank them as well because I I think that is why I have the sort of go-getter I think go-getter feeling and inside me I think it's definitely because of them. And then you grew up in Blanchardstown what was that like? Yeah so the so the first little chunk of my life I I went to school in Lucan, but then at the age of seven, I moved from Lucan to Blanchardstown. And that's where I'd say I spent the majority of my childhood. So I do call myself like I'm someone that, that's from Blanche. Um, but I loved it. Like now I don't live in Blanchardstown anymore, but I, I miss it in a way because it was so cool. Like everything was there. It's when the shopping center was just like being built. Um, and we were part of like a new era when there was a lot of like new families um like second generation immigrants coming into Blanchardstown and um 
yeah, it was great. You know, we really, we really entertained ourselves with fun fairs and everything. I grew up with three siblings, so we were always a bit mad at home, but we were the best of friends. So I do have such fond memories looking back at my childhood. Who would you say, say has influenced decisions that you've made in your life? I know we briefly touched on your parents there and obviously everything that they went through and the resilience, but decisions that you've made, is there anyone outside of your family that would have influenced what you've done? Well, definitely like um, going to stage school, that was a huge part of my life. I really admired and looked up to the teachers um, at that performing arts school. And I think that's because it was the one place where I could really be my full self and, and thrive. And that I let that side of me go when I decided to become serious and go to college and get a business degree and all that stuff. But um, I think deep down, I just remember thinking like the younger, the younger me, like, she would thrive in a certain environment that was all about the arts and very creative. And I think thinking about my younger self, I was actually influenced by her and also my younger sister as well, because she was the first person in our family that kind of did like a degree that wasn't like business or science and medicine. She did like a PLC for uh, like media studies and photography and all that stuff. And I was like, you know, I really commend her because when like when you grow up and especially as like a, an immigrant child, like you want to impress your parents, be a lawyer, be a doctor. But um, I was definitely inspired by my sister and by my my teachers at my performing arts school to make this bigger decision for me in my life to change the route from like economics and finance into sort of the unknown um and the world of media and entertainment so they they were massive influences on me um as well i am an obsessed beyonce fan so anything she does i've watched every documentary i've seen her work ethic like on stage behind the stage and she's just someone that inspires me massively as well um so yeah there was a lot of powerful women growing up on on tv that that i looked up to yeah you mentioned briefly there, you know, the kind of expectation or maybe the pressure that you might put on yourself as an immigrant to, you know, do well, to show what you can do. Was that a major thing for you when you were making a career choice? And it's probably what a lot of other immigrants are feeling as well today. Yeah, loads of people go through this. Like you talk to anyone with any immigrant background and you have kind of a weight on your shoulders that, oh, your parents came to a new country to make life better for you. So you need to make life better for them, for this sacrifice that they made. So that is something that is naturally on every immigrant child's shoulders. Um, and I don't think you really, you really deep it. You don't really think about it until like you're older or in your 20s. But um. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it was just something that was in my head. And then going through like the different jobs that I had in the in the financial sector and just there were a lot that I, I was unhappy about at one particular job. And it was my parents that actually enc encouraged me to let go and to quit. And they just said, look, we know you're a smart girl. We trust you. We trust your decisions. You're going to be fine either way. So do do you. Pretty much that's what they said. Yeah. So it was it was great. So sometimes like that pressure, I think if you if you have that open conversation with your parents, you know, that pressure 
you know, can be eradicated. Um, if you just communicate and my parents like are so open-minded, they're such cheerleaders. So yeah, they definitely helped me a lot to, to influence my decision in, in leaving and going into TV and stuff like that. That's really interesting the way you've described that, because for the likes of me or other people, they wouldn't have a clue that's how some immigrants would be feeling. And particularly as well, their parents, I know many parents would probably be heartbroken to think that that's how their own child is thinking. So it just shows the importance of, you know, the communication. Like you said, you're very lucky that you had supportive parents as well. But is that your message to, you know, people that may be listening to this podcast as well that are feeling that pressure to just go for it and not to put yourself under, under that pressure? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I, I think we should trust ourselves more as people. Like, we go through an entire education system. We do the leave insert. We do college exams. Like we're smart individuals and we can also, we have to trust our judgment, trust our gut a lot. Um, And also you will be very successful and great at what you do if you love what you do. So I think that is a, a piece of advice that, you know, people should definitely try try to live by like if you love what you do you're going to be fine regardless because you're going to want to impress you're going to want to be productive and and be a go-getter in whatever field that is you know yeah so you quit your job and now you're on the books of one of ireland's top modeling agencies yeah as well as presenting ireland am um at the weekends as well what has the experience of modeling been like for you because you know, a lot of people are aware that modelling is a really tough industry to work in. I'm not sure what it's like here in Ireland. I have watched America's Next Top Model. I've watched it when I was a teenager and I watch it now and think, oh my God, I can't believe that was even allowed to be on TV. It obviously has its highs and lows like any other job. So what are the highs and lows of that job for you? Well, I did mix a lot of modeling work with social media work. So I was used to, you know, doing ads for brands where I had control over the images and which final one that they would use. Whereas when you're behind the lens of like a campaign for a modeling job, you don't have that say. So that's definitely like the con. Um, Like you, you lose that sense of control when it comes to the final result. So that was the, the downside of it. But the upside was that I, I, I was kind of like um in the deep end a little bit because I started when I was 24, I think 24. And um, I like did not know what to do. I knew I liked taking pictures, but I think going in there, you learn on the job. And I remember just watching other models and all their angles. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to practice in front of a mirror and learn how to actually model. But I think it, it really taught me to learn about my angles, what I feel good in, my confidence as well, because I was going on set and I wasn't looking like everyone else. You know, I'm a curvier model and I, I they usually book like a curvier model and then someone that was probably like a mannequin size as well for a bit of variety. So you really had to, you know, trust your own angles, know what works for you and be confident in your own body. So I think that set me on a journey of, you know, self-love and, um, and confidence and and reassurance with self. So I definitely, I definitely think that was a positive side to it because you you do learn a lot about yourself um, in the modeling industry, um, especially. I'm not that I stayed in it for that long, so I feel like I can't speak so 
so much about it because I definitely switched to like Instagram uh, jobs more because I preferred it. I preferred the control. But um, yeah, I definitely learned a lot being a model. And you've obviously been on our screens now for quite a while presenting Ireland AM. You're 27 years of age, someone that works in media as well. That's a massive achievement. You're obviously a role model for so many um, people as well for various reasons. How have you dealt with becoming a public figure and having that lens on you all of the time? Oh, I don't know. Like, to be to be really honest, I haven't thought about it like that. I think because I came from having a bit of an Instagram audience, I would focus on my tribe, people that liked me for me. And that really helped me block out the outside comments because I get those outside comments a lot. You know, you see them on TikTok and, and Instagram. People would say, oh, you're just a diversity hire. You have no talent. But if you listen to that, it will get inside your head. So I think for me, the fact that I didn't care so much and I was like, I'm here to just do my job and uh, build up my profile and build up my skills on screen. And then I could go home and like I could shut all of that out. So I'm very good at compartmentalizing. So I definitely think um, I definitely think it's it's helped. That mentality has helped me in a way, but that's not saying that, you know, a comment like that can get to you and as well when I'm walking down the street and I see young girls and they stop me and they're they're like oh I'd love to get on tv like hey how do you do it and I really love watching you and that I think that drives me more like that has so much more waste than a negative comment so when I see that I'm like oh my god that's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing you know like it's just really cute like I was walking down Georgia street and this girl um this lady was at the bus stop with her daughter and her daughter just turned to me and was like that's that's the girl she's like yeah that's the girl you watch on the weekends and she was just so cute and I was like she literally reminded me of me like how I would be like watching someone on tv and I'm like oh my god that's the reason why I'm doing it like for my younger self and for the younger girls that are watching tv out there for representation and everything like that so yeah I feel like any negative comment will just go in one ear and out the other because of how how important it is to continue what to do what I'm doing to represent people that look like me and also just women that want to get into media and you know and things like that so yeah it's it's a bit crazy like being in a public figure I still don't really say that I am like I don't really think of myself as like known and that probably also helps as well and I have siblings that really humble me at the same time so yeah it hasn't been too bad yeah Dealing obviously with the social media aspect um, can be tough because of those comments. I'm sure you probably had to deal with a coping mechanism um, in terms of, you know, at the beginning when you see all the comments, you, it's like you don't know how to deal with it. So how did you, you, you spoke there about self-love. How did you teach yourself or, you know, nearly train yourself for it not to impact you as much as what it might have done previously? Yeah, like you really have to have that strong self-talk with yourself. And it's just mad how we can look at someone that says, you're so pretty or you're so great at what you do, loved your outfit, blah, blah, blah. And then someone like Jim1990 says, you're a lot of shite, you're, you're not good, like you're a diversity or whatever. Like, why is it that, that beautiful, lovely comment 
like is just gone and all we do is focus on that so I've really learned to train my mind on how I register thoughts and how I should put more weight on positive thoughts and accept positive thoughts instead of the negative ones because if you think about thoughts for long enough they become things so it's very dangerous ground if you are thinking too much about negative so yeah I definitely because I've got I've gone through that work of self-love um and manifesting as well I've learned all about you know how to focus on the positive and that good will come to you so that's helped me so much and then another mechanism if people don't know on Instagram and TikTok you can filter words like in your comments so if I want to filter out certain words that might be triggering for me even if it's just for a second I'm going to filter them out because I choose my piece and my page is my page, you know, so I'm going to make it my home and I'm going to make it suited for me and that I don't feel attacked or negative when I go on it. Yeah. Social media and, you know, Instagram, it creates for a lot of people unrealistic expectations, particularly for younger women. And you've also spoken about this recently about coping with body dysmorphia. When did you recognize that was something that you were dealing with? Um, I would say from a pretty young age, like I think from the age of 15, 15 or 16, like I, I would fluctuate with my weight from a very young age. And I think I had like a family member, like a cousin or something like comment that I was gaining weight or I was fat or whatever. And it doesn't matter how young you are, like the minute someone says that it's going to stick. And I think since that, I've looked at my body so differently for a really long time. So it's still a journey that I'm going on. Like I'm very open about the weight loss journey that I'm on right now on my social media, but it's something that I'm really going to have to train myself over, like to, to overcome it. Because basically you look in the mirror and you see one thing, you see all the bad things, see all the faults. And I'm, I like to think of myself as someone that's quite positive. So the fact that I can look in the mirror and say those bad things about myself that's like obviously alarming for myself um but I've dedicated you know time to to try to recover and be better with it but um yeah I'm still on that journey right now I think I'm working now with like a a personal trainer who helps me you know build like like kind of gain muscle in the right way whereas before I was on a lot of fad diets like when I think when I was the age of 14 I was on like I created like a brand flake diet whereas all I would eat was brand flakes because I knew it was 100 calories like it's just wild like I was so crazy and I used to have this poster that I'd stick on my fridge that said all these things like you need to lose 10 kg or else you're not good enough whatever and I would actually go to school like look at that and be like okay and then just leave and just go to school so it was it was wild and then as well like just seeing on screen all the people like I I watched the likes of One Tree Hill and Vampire Diaries and all that like all these people that are size zero size two size four in the states and we're just literally like looking at them saying oh I I should be like that that's glorified like so I should look like that and I'm so not like that I'm far from it so you start thinking you've got to change everything about yourself but um I think the one thing that has helped me now is just seeing a better representation of women of all different sizes like social media for me I know some people have a lot of negative things to say about it but for me as well it's been a blessing because I've been able to find creators that look different to what is glorified in the media and like like 
social media content creators and models that are plus size, women that are have vitiligo, women that are dark skinned, women that you know, carry different hairstyles and stuff. So you see like, oh, there's not just one type of perfect person. Like there's perfect in so many, like skin colors and so many weights. There's perfect in everything. So yeah, like social media definitely helped me. Like one of the first people I followed, I remember was Ashley Graham. Like everyone was following the VS models, but I'm like, no, I love Ashley Graham. I saw her in Ellen DeGeneres. She had the best personality at the same time being so beautiful, so curvaceous. And I was just mesmerized. And I think once I started seeing a better representation of that, I started to focus more on that. But then at the same time, I could look at her and be like, oh, she's like perfect, even though she's a curvier. Like, why can't my curves be like that so I could look like that? Like, it's so crazy. So, um, yeah, basically, it's still a journey that I'm on, but I'm positive I'll get there. I think it's a you really have to work with your with your mind and focus on the the positive thoughts. So I think I have to practice what I preach, because if I can block out negative comments from a stranger, I've got to try to block out negative comments from myself. <laughs> Like 15 years of age, that's probably the, you know, puberty hits a little bit sooner, but it's probably the age for a lot of young girls that they start thinking about their bodies like you would have had. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of other women listening to this that had that posted on their fridge um, and just thought what you did see on Friends or, you know, on the TV because you wouldn't have been using Instagram at that time as what you should look like. Do you think it was severe the body dysmorphia is severe in the sense that um would it have been something that from the moment you woke up you thought about and you thought about maybe going to bed at night or how severe was it for you as as you got older maybe a little not at 15 years of age but as you essentially grew up I got older I was probably more conscious of it like uh especially at times where I was like maybe a little bit overweight or not or fluctuated in weight I'd be very conscious about it like how I angle myself and everything it's so weird um and also like as you get older in your teens like that's when you might start getting attention from guys or girls or whoever you're into and then you kind of think about yourself in that sense and how will they view me and I should make sure I look like perfect and whatever. So I really, it really did consume my mind like a lot. Um, and I think I, I'm, I masked it by trying to go on all these fad diets, but I think it wasn't until I was in college where I tried to face it more head on and I actually started going to like a gym and I learned about how to lose weight the right way and not just in an unhealthy way and how it's okay to like gain muscle gain weight like if you go up on the scales because you're weightlifting it's it's not you know the be all end all do you know what I mean so yeah I think it took me in my older years now to really know what it is to research it a bit more and to try to tackle it in a, in a healthier way at the same time because women, you know, we're going to fluctuate in weight. Like we also have hormones to deal with. Like we just don't live a peaceful life. Like there's always something we have to think about. So I think we got to give ourselves way more grace. So that's what I'm trying to do. Well, it hasn't stopped you from being in front of TV cameras. So thankfully it hasn't taken over your life. Take me back to the happiest moment in your life that you can recall. Now, you're, I know I mentioned already you're only 27, so you have a lot of life to live yet. But is there something that really sticks out to you? I have a funny feeling I know what this is. Is it Beyonce? 
The night I turned 27, I slept outside the Principality Stadium in Cardiff. And I am very ashamed to admit that because I was a grown woman. But I was so determined to like get the best seat in the house. And this is after we already paid like 300 euro on a good like section or area of the stadium. But I still wanted to be at the front of that. So we all queued, we had Burger King, we took shifts and we'd go back to the hotel to have showers and get ready and whatever. And um. And then when I when we got there, we still had to wait hours. But then when she came onto the stage, it was like the best moment ever. Crying my eyes out. And she had I had a birthday sign and all. She said happy birthday to me. It was phenomenal. So that's definitely up there. Um, I think another really fond memory of mine, which is very simple, because I like I explained at the beginning, I'm super family oriented. But myself and my partner, we went to Germany to for a family wedding. And it was like the first time like all like all three of my siblings and my parents were together on like a group family holiday in a really long time. And then I was seeing relatives from Burundi and relatives that maybe live in Switzerland or Canada. And they all came together for this wedding. I think that was definitely up there with one of my happiest moments. And it was I think it was only last year. But yeah, for me, like family is life so yeah whenever I'm around them I feel really complete really whole um so yeah that's probably up there one of my happiest moments and I think when I was there on that trip is when I think was it that week no it was another time but in Germany again when I got the call that I was I was gonna be working on Virgin Media and that's I just remember jumping on the bed in the hotel room that was also one of the happiest moments of my life as well yeah yeah (laughs) You um, mentioned you have a partner there. Did you meet your partner on online dating or? Yes. So his name is Dara. So um, we, yeah, we met online dating back when Tinder was like the app to go on. I know now it's just like where people meet to just have sex. But um, <laughs> basically, I yeah, I met him on there years ago. I think it was 2015. Um, but we didn't go on our first date until 2017. And we've been dating ever since. So, but that's a very like peaceful part of my life. Like I don't really talk about it loads. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's great. I'm happy out with him. He's good. <laughs> How important is faith to you? Are you religious at all? And I know I get the sense that you're quite spiritual anyway. You spoke about meditation and stuff, but talk to me a little bit about your faith. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely religious. Like I grew up Roman Catholic, like the majority of this country, but yeah, my parents, like back in Brody, would have practiced religion. And I think from them, like going through certain hardships, and explaining like all oh, like bad things that would have happened. They always, you know, would finish the sentence with something to do with God or Jesus or whatever is looking out for them. So they really used that to like carry on. And I think that that was passed on to the kids as well. Like, you know, we pray a lot. Like it's, I don't go to church. Like I don't, I don't go to mass as much, but I have a relationship with God. I have the Bible app on my phone and I always like to reflect and either say a prayer in the morning or in the evening um, because I feel like it really grounds me. Like if I'm ever having a difficult time, I, it's usually when I'm a bit out of touch with, with God or my spirituality. So it, it really allows me to keep myself in check because I don't like no one knows me better than God. So it's, it's the best thing that I can I can do if I'm at a point in my life where I'm a bit unsure. And then it all starts to 
unravel and things start to go well again. So yeah, it's very important to me. It's something I will definitely hang on to for as long as I live because yeah, it's, it's, it's done nothing but good for me. And then even in hard times, I think whether it's your faith or spirituality, I feel like a lot of people need something to hang on to because bad things in life are inevitable. They're going to happen. We're going to go through losses and hardships, but it's important to have something bigger to hold on to, to keep, to keep going. So yeah, that's why it's, it's very important to me. Interested to hear about that Bible app. Yeah, it's so good. Would you, would, would you look at it every day or? Yeah, like you literally get a notification you open the app like you'll get like a little like a proverb or something and then that's like a a prompt to like either pray or write down some thoughts so it's done in a quite like in a modern way um and then also like even going to school I'm I'm not sure if you were like this as well but like did you read the bible in primary school like I don't think I had any knowledge of the bible but we yeah we'd sing hymns the priest would come in to visit but did I actually know anything about the bible nothing um so this is like a way that it's like reintroducing me to the bible and to some like incredible like verses that I can carry with me for forever and through life like one of my favorite ones are I I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and I use that in anything whenever I'm nervous whether it's I'm going for an audition whether I'm about to hit a personal best in the gym and I've never hit that weight before anything like that I just have to say that to myself once and I'm like I know I've got enough strength in me to carry on and do anything so yeah the Bible has been great like it's been a great way to reintroduce me into faith 100% do you find obviously in times of need that's where you turn to obviously family members and your friends as well but if you're praying maybe once a day is is it where your mind goes to when you're struggling absolutely like absolutely especially within myself if I'm just struggling or going through like any sort of weird phase in my life like faith is one thing spirituality is another like I I love to manifest on um a new moon and a full moon and like people can call these things masks but basically what they get you to do is just write down how you're feeling like that is literally like what it is and I don't think we do it enough as people like but when you do sit down with your feelings and with your thoughts and you actually write them down our problems seem so much smaller and we're also allowed to tackle them in in like smart ways using strategies or whatever but it, it really helps me like it helps me see like right this isn't so deep it's not such a big deal we can figure it out and we can keep it moving and stay positive so it's great and it's also a way to promote people to just feel your feelings like if you feel sad you're allowed to feel sad you're allowed to feel frustrated you're allowed to feel angry so yeah I think at the heart of it that's kind of what it just gets you to do because I know not everyone is religious and I would never push religion on anyone so it's why it's I'm not like I don't promote it on my social media at all but like for myself it's just yeah it's just something that helps me carry on. What is one thing that you would change about Ireland and why? I think I think just as a country like I feel like with the with the talent here like we lose a lot of our talent to the UK and I think it's just because the the country just doesn't have like certain infrastructures to that that's inviting for young people. So whether it's just like more 
high rise buildings for apartments that, you know, people can feel independent and move out of home at an early age and work and actually feel like they're doing something right because we go through college and we go through jobs, but still we can't even afford shit. So everyone still feels like they're failing when we're not because we have a great education system. So definitely like the infrastructure the amount of apartments that could be available in this country would be great. And also like just the different, like different types of sort of media outlets that people could use. So they're not limited to just one or the big houses, because I think a lot of people leave Ireland because maybe they don't have variety or options and they feel like they might have to conform themselves into a certain type just to fit like the one traditional sort of model of whatever job or industry they want to go into so yeah I think I would say that for yeah for younger people especially infrastructure would be a great thing to change about Ireland and the transport is not great. <laughs> Lastly a piece of advice that you give to your friends or a motto that you live by? Okay I think I might I think I mentioned this um so the first one for work would be do what you love because you're automatically going to be good at it and what you're going to want to excel in it. So that is something I live by. Um, another thing that I would use for myself, I know it's faith oriented, but you can sort of change the words around if you'd like. But when I say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that is my go-to phrase and I pass it on to my friends, I pass it on to my family and straight away I just feel strength, straight away I just feel like I can do anything. Um, another one I always use is feel the fear and do it anyway. So, yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Kira. It's been great to chat to you. Join me back here next week for the last episode of Series 1 on the Kira Feeling Podcast.